the Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live, and exciting color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Derek McCarson, the Four Horsemen. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Four Horsemen podcast. This is your moderator for the day, Derek McCarson. Pastor at Liberty Baptist Church, so glad that you've decided to join us today. I know there's many other podcasts out there. But none like this. Right, that you could be listening to, but you chose us, and we are so humbled Sorry. by that. <laughs> and the way he started Thanks, that, Mom, I, for listening. <laughs> I, I just, you know, with that voice, I was just expecting, are you ready to rumble? <laughs> well, we are getting ready to rumble today because we are talking about eschatology in times very controversial subject, one which creates a lot of heat. Uh, maybe not always much light. Not always much light. We're saying that for Terry. He was actually uh, raptured last week. So <laughs> he's not here. We're left behind. We're going to be talking about the so-called left-behind theology and the various views of the end times, premillennialism, postmillennialism, amillennialism, Adam Black, who's panmillennialism, and he'll explain that here in a minute. <laughs> So I figure the best way to start this discussion is we're just going to go around the horn, and we're going to start with uh, Benjamin down there on the end of the table. Ben, tell us what your current view of end times is and maybe a few reasons why you have ascribed to that view. So I kind of fluctuate sometimes between postmillennialism and amillennialism. In a nutshell, for those of you who aren't familiar it's with es- place, eschatology, nutshell. yeah. Eschatology is a big word for the study of last things. And so it's an area of theology specifically looking at the end times, the final judgment, what's going to happen in the end, essentially. Some key text for that would be Daniel and Revelation are kind of the two books that people look at. But, of course, there's lots of prophecy throughout Scripture. Historically, people have interpreted that differently, what the different sequence of events are going to be in the end times, um, what those things are going to look like on the earth. What's the nature of how we should interpret it, if it's uh, literal or allegorical or uh, spiritual or something else? And so there's been a lot of debate on those different uh, views. And so when you hear millennial terms, usually it's talking specifically about a reference in the book of Revelation to a a thousand-year reign of Christ. And so you have these different views that are kind of broad categories of when do people think Jesus return is going to fall. So a premillennialist would think that it is that Jesus will return before the thousand year reign. A postmillennialist would think that Jesus would return at the end of thousand year reign. And an amillennialist means no millennium, but essentially they don't interpret the millennium as a literal thousand year period. Of course, within all those views, there's a lot of smaller views. And like anything in theology, no matter how deep you go, it just gets more and more complex. So we're going to try to keep it on everybody's level for all of our listeners so that this is a helpful conversation for you and we don't get too far in the weeds. But it, it's an interesting topic. It's something anytime somebody in church does a conversation about the book of Revelation or prophecy, there's... Revelations. A, Revelations <laughs> is my favorite book. Um, anytime that happens, your attendance is going to go up because people are curious. They want to know what's going to happen. They see things going on in the world that seem disturbing or they feel like the our country is going in a bad direction and they want answers for that. And so... 
uh, we can talk a little bit about that talk a little bit about some of our differences and also some things that we can all agree on because as confusing as prophecy can be, there's some areas that Scripture is really clear on as far as the end times that we can all agree on. And I think you, before I cut you off, Ben, you mentioned you were leaning toward amillennialism, right? Yes, today I'm, I am amillennial and orthodox preterist. Okay. <laughs> A predator? What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whatever that noise is. So explain that. Um, okay. A little bit. I'll preface this by saying... There are other people that will listen to this that would consider themselves amillennial that probably think I'm totally wrong. So I'm talking about my personal understanding of things. I'm not speaking for a group of people or even the historical view. I am not an expert on this area of theology, so I'm just kind of spitballing here. Winging it, we call it. Yes, I'm winging it. I believe Jesus only comes back once, so he doesn't come back one and a half times. So I would not acknowledge a rapture in the sense of the left behind thing of like everybody standing around and then everybody disappears or some people disappear and then Jesus comes back again later after you get your second chance or whatever. Like I don't really see it that way. In scripture, I see Jesus just coming back once and then there being a final judgment, New Jerusalem, that kind of stuff. I'm also Orthodox preterist and what, and what that means is um, there's two types of preterism. There's full preterism which is heresy because that teaches that Jesus has actually returned at some point in the past and we all already missed He's it. He's returned in our hearts. Um, yeah. And so I don't believe that. I think Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now and that at some undisclosed time, the Father will give him instruction to come back and he'll come back, redeem his people, and the final judgment will happen. As an Orthodox preterist or a partial preterist, what that means is, is that I, I'm inclined to believe that a lot of the beginning of the book of Revelation actually occurred during the period of the early church. For instance, I think that the Antichrist that was specifically referenced in Revelation, I think that that was Nero. I also think that there, throughout history, have been other Antichrists. Jesus said there would be many Antichrists. But I think the specific one that John was talking about was Nero. And I think a lot of the things that he said are soon going to come to pass actually did soon come to pass and that the original readers of John's letter interpreted those events during their own lifetimes as being about their own lifetimes. So I think that there are many things in Revelation that have already occurred, but I do not think the second coming is one of them. So that that's kind of in a nutshell where I'm at on it. I don't know how that falls in with, you know, all the historical amillennial guys, but that's just kind of where I'm at at this point. Okay, thank you, Ben. Brother Dennis. Should we attack now or later? Over there. Later, later. This this is a cross-examination. He's ready to bring the heat. What fun is that? (laughs) uh, Sitting before me is Dennis Thurman, and he's got a stack of three or four dispensational books. I have a book here called uh, (laughs) The Basis of the Premillennial Faith. This most I like the Christian faith, personally. Dispensationalism today. I thought you said you were a preterist. What? I a you said you were a preterist. A predator? Are you a preterist or a Christian? <laughs> Come on. And then the uh, Bible and future events. So go ahead, Brother Dennis. Tell well, us about uh, your eschatological um, position and why you hold it. Uh, quite obviously, uh, I believe in premillennialism. There Dispensational is, premillennialism. Yes. Well, uh, give me time. Come on. <laughs> okay, I'm going to show you. <laughs> Dispensational uh, premillennialism. So uh, in saying that, I believe that literally Jesus is coming back to reign a thousand years, just like the Bible says. 
I don't believe that Satan right now is bound because if he is, he surely has a very long chain. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think that's actually something that when the Bible says a thousand years, that's what it means. I know numbers can have, you know, significant symbolism, but uh, but I don't I don't see in that particular respect. So I don't see all these events having already happened with the invasion of uh, the Romans uh, coming into Jerusalem and all that they did. Preview, perhaps, but not actual. The whole fulfillment of all of that discourse didn't happen at that time. So anyway, dispensationalism essentially is a system that takes and breaks down these different economies uh, in which God has given a test. And then when people fail that test, the judgment comes. So in other words, you go back into the Garden of Eden. Here's the test. You can eat any fruit except one. And if you eat that, then there'll be judgment. They failed the test. Judgment came. So then you've got the, the days of, uh, of Noah that come later on. Another test. Judgment comes. And, and throughout whether the nation of Israel, you've got all of these economies, these periods of time in which God was dealing in very specific ways with people. And so right now, I see us as being in a dispensation of grace in which God's at work in his church. And then that will end when the church is caught out, not a one and a half <laughs> return of Christ. Only once will he return to this world to reign but in the clouds, he's going to call his church out uh, to deliver us before seven years of horrible judgment upon the, upon the world. So the reason I follow that is that to me, it harmonizes best in a more literal interpretation of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, that you don't have to spiritualize certain truths that you can exegete those as events that are happening, understanding that there is symbolism, but it's it's symbolism for real things that happen. So that's why I follow that, it, and it makes sense to me. Let me add this little caveat. But all of these are human inventions to help explain things. So when we talk about amillennialism, postmillennialism, premillennialism, dispensationalism, we're, we're not perfect, and I don't understand everything. And I heard R.C. Sproul a few weeks back on a, a podcast, the late R.C. Sproul, and he's probably would have been classified as all millennial, I think. But he was talking about that he wasn't sure about some of those things himself and a very brilliant man. So I think we've got to be careful about that dogmatism. And I think there are things that, that we should know, and so that's where I come down. Yeah, and I'm in agreement with Dennis. He and I share pretty much the same eschatology and um, I would basically summarize my position in about five or six different reasons uh, first off premillennialism I think makes the best literal interpretation of prophetic passages if we believe that Jesus came literally physically the first time then why not the second time um, I think that I'm really drawn to premillennialism as well because it shows a great distinction and a respect for the church and Israel. Different origins, different populations, different purposes, different destinies. Paul even makes this distinction. 1 Corinthians 10.32, Jews, Gentiles, and the church. It sees that distinction between church and Israel. It also, I believe, ties in very well with the Old Testament covenants which were made to Israel. 
that uh, God has not abrogated those and given those to the church, but that he is going to fulfill those unilateral promises that he made to Abraham and so on, David, and those will be literally fulfilled during the millennium. If those aren't fulfilled, then guess what? God could be a liar. And so I believe that when God made a promise to Abraham that he was they were going to inhabit the land from the Nile River to the Euphrates, I believe that, that God literally meant that. And Israel has not yet occupied that span of land, but one day they will in the future. I do believe that if we look at the return of Christ, it's in the rapture is separate from the return. And we need to make those distinctions. I think premillennialism does that. Also makes the most sense of the Old Testament passages in reference to the Messianic kingdom, which is to come. And I also hold to premillennialism because it's the only one that allows you to keep the doctrine of eminence. And it literally makes sense. Because in the other systems, I feel like that if you ascribe to them, you lose that doctrine of eminence because you can look at something and say, well, we know Jesus is going to return because of X, Y, and Z. Explain that, eminence. Eminence is basically the idea or the uh, the teaching that comes from the Bible that uh, Christ could return at any moment for his church, which could be seen in the rapture. And like a thief in the night. Like a thief in the night. Uh, the, the Son of Man is coming at an hour which you do not know, Matthew twenty four thirty six. And so we have this doctrine all the way throughout the New Testament that Christ's return is imminent and coming for the church, meaning that there's no prophetic signs or triggers that are attached to that that need to be fulfilled. And uh, that's not true of the return. You know, you read Matthew 24 and so on, you see many signs that have to happen before Christ returns. And so I feel like the doctrine of imminency is important because if Christ is coming in an hour in which you do not know, you ought to be living a holy, a, a Christian life the best you can because you'd be ashamed if Christ were to show up and uh, your garments are soiled and you're not living the way that you should. Well, it you also have no brings, oil in your lamp. Right. also brings urgency to evangelism. If you don't know when Christ is going to return, man, you're, you're out there working for the master and many other things. And I don't want to take away from your time, Adam. So, <laughs> Adam, tell us what your position is and um, where you fall. I'm in actually in agreement with the both of you dispensational premillennialists with the rapper. <laughs> I agree. And my main reason behind it is I'm a pretty literal guy when it comes to scripture. I try to be at least. And so when you look at Revelation 20, to me, premillennialism makes the most sense. The rapture, when you read in Daniel, uh, it again makes sense that you see the eminence that Derek was talking about. It, it just makes the most sense to me. Now, I am by no means an expert in this field. I've often said that I am a pan-millennialist and that it'll all pan out in the end. Believe in Jesus. No, Jesus, man, it'll all pan out in the end because that's basically how Scripture states I'm not going to say I don't care too much about it. I just don't spend a whole lot of time on it as some people do. So, Well, let's talk about a couple of different issues that are associated with eschatology. And First off, guys, why is this issue so divisive? If you check in the elephant room, sometimes you're going to see some real debates going on. Not only with soteriology, that's a huge battleground, but Definitely, it seems like the second-tier battleground is going to be end times. Uh, Why is this so divisive? I think it's pastor's gangs. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I, I really, I really believe that because after Thug Life. And, and, and I, I'm not saying this, you know, full time. You know, when you're full time, you 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 think on like I don't have time to think on this stuff. So I think I think the reason why people get divisive with it, honestly, in my opinion, is because it gives them something to do. And, and I mean, and and so they get in these little clubs. So you're you're and, saying we need more bivocational pastors. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean. I'm not saying that, but I do think that that's, that's the reason good, why I can smack you. Why there is division? I mean, seriously, I really believe that is why. Because it's like I, I want to get in this club, and I'm going to stand firm on my club, and I want to fight and argue, and it's like a hobby. So yeah, that's well, and view I think you know, to me, it's just underscores that this really does matter. Sure. And and I understand that some things uh, certainly claim priority in terms of uh, of us uh, in our mission and our work that we do. But when you understand that uh, about twenty five to thirty percent of all the Bible is prophecy, of which about half of that's been literally fulfilled. Yeah, Vance Havner, the old time evangelist, said if you took out prophecy from the Bible, it would look like Swiss cheese. Yes. So, like that thing. so that's about 15%, which is a very significant amount of Scripture that has yet to be fulfilled. And so if you ignore that, then then you're really missing you know, a, a large amount of content in the Bible. So it matters. Jesus taught it. So it matters. And, and in a very practical way, which you'll appreciate, Adam, I think it matters, and, and uh, Derek's already hit on it a little bit, in the way we view our mission and our urgency and the way we live. I know there in Second Peter, when it talks about how everything, the new heavens and the new earth come into being with this great conflagration of the old order in which the elements dissolve, melt with fervent heat, Peter goes on to say, and, and because of this, essentially, this is the way that you should live in holiness, seeing that all these things are going to come to pass. So to me, number one, the comfort that I receive and I extend to others through the blessed hope. Mm-hmm. And, and we all agree on this, that the blessed hope is the coming of Christ. We may differ on how all that transpires, but, but that that's the great message of comfort It's the hope of the world. Nothing that we do or can bring about can can accomplish that. So it's the message of comfort. It's the message of challenge that keeps me motivated, knowing that you know I've got a shelf life. I could I'm going to die out there at some point in time, maybe, but then maybe not. The Lord could call me up with the church at at any moment, and so I've got to always be ready uh, for that uh, trumpet to sound. And so I think it does matter, and it matters in a very practical way. As long as we don't get immersed in all of our charts and all that kind of thing, and I've used charts. I know another pastor recently used some charts. Just charts. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. But but if if that if it's just about you know curiosity, then we've missed the whole point of what prophecy is about. Right. That's that's a good point, Dennis. Um, you know, knowing what the little toe in Daniel's statue it means or discerning what the the horns in revelation are you know if if you're going into prophecy as a badge of honor to bludgeon other people with to say look well i know more than you do you know the bible says knowledge puffs up Mm -hmm. same way with apologetics Uh, you can get into those arguments 
just to win the argument and show that you're smarter than somebody else. And then you've lost the person. Same way with prophecy. You know, if, if you're just in it to scratch your intellectual curiosity, then you've missed the whole point because it's supposed to have practical consequences on your everyday life and how you live. So we know it's divisive. What do you think, Ben? How does the knowledge of the return of Christ, how does that bear into the nuts and bolts of your life? Do you think about it? How does it play out in your everyday walk? I would agree that there is a sense of urgency in the, in the sense of, to my knowledge, none of the major views of the end times would, would uh, deny that Jesus could come at any moment. So, like, you know, I believe he could come right now. I believe he could, he could come a thousand years from now. I have no idea uh, what that is. And so I do think there's that sense of urgency. But I think for me, the hope that I look to is not so much in the coming of Christ as it is the New Jerusalem. Where is my time of rest? I don't really see the second coming as my time of rest because there's still more to be done. There's a judgment and other things that are going to happen. But when I'm in that city and I'm, I'm with him, that's kind of like the eternal sigh of relief of like, okay, I've, I've arrived now. I'm here. Jesus is here. Everything has been settled. You know, the, the judgment has been done. There's a new heaven. There's a new earth. And now it's just, it's just me and him and his people, you know? And to me, that's the hope that I look forward to is, uh, just that rest, you know, of being in that place. But as far as my, my day to day life, the idea of prophecy and the second coming doesn't really come into my mind that much because I feel like I can't do anything about that. There's nothing that I'm going to do that's going to affect the determined time when he's going to come. Sure. And so in light of that, I, I want to focus more on today. I, I don't want to be, I don't want to do like they did when he ascended, when they were looking in the sky and they said, listen, why are you looking? He's going to come back the same way that he left. And, um, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And so like, I don't have any issue with people studying prophecy or I think we should study all of scripture. And I think we should love God with our minds. Like we've talked about on the podcast, but on a day to day basis, there's so many things in daily holiness and evangelism that I don't do well, that I feel like it honors God more for me to lean into those more than to eschatology. Well, we certainly are supposed to be soul winners and not stargazers. I think that's mm-hmm. the whole uh, point. But having said that, there's a special blessing that is associated with reading and it's keeping true. the words of the prophecy of, of the book of Revelation. Yes. And so I want all that that God has for me. And so part of my inspiration is to do that and not to say, well, you know, this is too divisive or there's too much debate or it doesn't really apply to my daily life. If the Lord has instructed me in those ways, I feel compelled to study and to search the, search the Scripture. And, and to me, we've got these periods in church history in which there's been a recovery of certain truths. And I think that's why we have this big debate now uh, in that. Early on in the Reformation and so forth, there's that recovery of justification by faith, which soteriology really came to the to the forefront. And then there have been other debates down throughout uh, mentioned in the early 20th century, the fundamentalist and modernist controversy. And, and then out of that, the real desire to recover the inerrancy of Scripture, you know, the truth of, of bibliology. Then we got in the whole pneumatology thing with the Pentecostal movement, 
and, and, you know, what's the doctrine of the Holy Spirit? So there's great and still controversy over that, as you know. And, and so I think now as we've moved along, we're in that period in which we're kind of looking around thinking, you know, well, 2,000 years have gone by, you know, we've, we're a whole lot closer than we used to be. And, and so there's this intense debate about what does that mean, and, 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 and I just think it matters intently that we ought not go to an extreme which that's all we talk about. I've known preachers that do that. But on the other hand, we ought not just, you know, brush it aside as, as unimportant uh, either. You know, on our last podcast, we talked about social justice and the desire that is inbuilt in everybody for justice and for that desire that we want to inhabit a land and a country um, where there is righteous judgment and there is a government that adjudicates rightly and um, that's a big issue right now in our culture and I feel like eschatology answers that especially Christian eschatology in the sense that there is a hope and there is a promise coming that the scales of justice will be balanced by a righteous king who is coming to reclaim uh, his inheritance his earth so to tie it in with that last podcast, uh, how do you guys feel about that? That the um, the return of Christ, uh, what? How is it going to solve, and what is it going to do in terms of the, some of the problems that we're facing here on the earth? Well, I think if you have a post millennial view, uh, you would very much be part of a social justice movement. Right, and post millennialism advocated. I don't know that it's that popular today as it was years ago, but it advocated really that the church could sort of usher in the return of Christ by creating a, a social movement or a utopia. And then World War yeah, I and the World War II is something happened. the church brings in. Right. World War I, World War II happened, and that kind of put, put an end to that. But I think it's making a comeback. And, and again, the, the idea of what we can do to fashion these things ourselves, to get ready to make everything prepared for Christ to return, I think it flips it on its head. But, but I think that, that go, coincides with it uh, as well. I think the danger then, in, in my belief in premillennialism, is to say, well, these things don't matter because it's not going to be fixed till the Lord comes back, mm-hmm. where we just sit back and twiddle our thumbs or, you know, go mount a horse and put on a white robe and go right up on the mountains and wait, you know. Pack your beanie weenies and yeah, ramen noodles. Yeah. And, and, so, and so I think e- either one of those would be uh, an extreme view that would be unwarranted from Scripture. Adam, what do you feel about that? I think that going back to kind of what you were saying earlier about the whole social justice movement and it kind of goes back to that view that i have in the sense of what are the what are what do we need to know we know that judgment is coming period so there's going to be folks who won't won't like that Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know only god can judge me we talked about that you don't want god to judge you but he's going to Mm -hmm. and um so i think that we know that judgment is coming for everyone and, and we'll stand in judgment and and that I think from the urgency standpoint that you mentioned that that Christ's return is coming I think it's that judgment is what's gonna that promotes me for the urgency in the sense of people will have to stand in front of God and could be condemned to hell you know and that that's what gives me that urgency and to tell others about Christ and eternity in hell is something that I don't want 
my loved ones or friends or really anyone to, to face. And so that's how I feel about that. One thing being mentioned, and, and I know, you know, we all believe in the sovereignty of God and that God has an appointed time and seasons, and those are in His hands. But we also know just the same way that God employs our prayers to do His work, those means of grace that we talk about, our witness. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, God's going to save the elect, but He uses us in proclaiming the gospel for that to happen, that we actually can, from a human perspective, speed up and affect the return of the Lord. Here in Second Peter chapter 3, where he talks about the elements dissolving, the end times events, he says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So um, a young man named Derek McCarson preached yesterday something I'm, I'm very convinced of, that the Lord knows the number of his elect. And I think Calvinists would agree with that. Sure. Knows who that last person is that's <laughs> going to be saved. So, so if you follow a belief that when the bride of Christ is complete, that's when the rapture takes place. Or then, the second coming. Yeah, either either way you might look at it, but when the church is is prepared fully, all the elect are in, right? We're we're agreeing with that, that then that should cause me to have a great passion to reach the lost. Yes, because there are dear souls that need to be won, but also that I'm hastening that because God knows who it may be the person that tomorrow I lead to faith in Jesus that, that brings those things about. So kind of use that as an impetus of uh, of evangelism as well. Yeah, and, um, you know, Paul speaks about that a little bit in Romans chapter 11. He talks about that when the fullness of the Gentiles Correct. has come in, mm-hmm. speaking of that number that you were referring to, Dennis. Ben, why don't you talk for a minute about the things that all Orthodox Christians believe concerning the return of Christ? I know we differ on the rapture or maybe how to interpret the two witnesses in Revelation 11 or whether we're a preterist or a futurist uh, when it comes to that. Or Talk for a minute about the common ground. We know it's divisive and um, tell us about the things that we all hold dear uh, concerning eschatology. First of all, it's the book of Revelation, not the book of Revelation. What? It is the revelation of Jesus Christ according to the Apostle John. Not the revelation of end-time events. It's right. Not, yeah. So one thing that every listener needs to know is that the, the focus of prophecy is Christ. Amen. That if you get sidetracked on, you know, is this goat represent Paul in Ephesus? Or, you know, you get focused on these events or, you know, I saw they came out with a new helicopter. Does that mean that Israel is about to take over the Middle East or... Whatever the locusts and revelation, right? Yeah, I mean, and there has been the birth of the red heifer. We, you know, right? And I mean, but but that's that's a perfect example, right? Okay, so then the focus is on, or it's about to, you know, be able to be used, and they're going to rebuild the temple, and they're going to do this kind of stuff, and it's like we already have a sacrifice. Like, why, why do we need a red heifer? What what sin is a red heifer going to pay for? And so. The focus has to remain on Christ. So what is the revelation? The revelation is that the lamb is the lion. In the first coming, we see him revealed as the lamb. In the second coming, we see him revealed as the lion of Judah, that he is the king of kings. And so he came in a lowly way the first time. He comes in power the second time. He came in mercy the first time. He comes in judgment the second time. 
And so the the unveiling that John sees, especially in chapter one there, when he sees Jesus, is this powerful picture of the Son of God is coming to judge men. And so any Orthodox Christian needs to agree Jesus is coming again. Amen. If you don't believe Jesus is coming again, then you have no hope and you don't believe the gospel. If you don't believe that he's coming bodily, I don't think you believe the, the full counsel of Scripture. I think Scripture is explicitly clear that, like I mentioned before, how is he going to come back in the same way that he left? He was in a physical body when he came out of the tomb, and he ascended physically to the right hand of the Father, and he will return physically to judge the earth. I think that's a requirement. Why is that important that Jesus returns to the earth? I mean, couldn't he just bring all of the true believers home to heaven and we'll just live with him? I mean, why does Jesus need to come back to the earth? I'm asking you because people have asked me that before. I mean, he doesn't need to do anything. You know, I mean, he he chooses to do what he chooses to do, but it's tying up all the loose ends. You know, why, why did he come to earth as a man? Well, he came as a man to redeem men. Well, why is he returning as a man? He's coming as a man to redeem men it's, it's the same thing of he's going to come like he told his disciples i'm going to prepare a place for you and then i'm going to come back and receive you unto myself if it were not so i would have told you in the same way it's not a matter if he's just calling us up he's taking us by the hand basically and saying okay you're like you're coming with me you're you belong to me yeah and an important aspect of eschatology is yeah god is going to redeem us but he's also going to redeem the earth. Mm-hmm. And he's not just going to throw away the earth and yeah. do away it, with Everything that's been touched by the curse right. is going to be yes. reversed. Yes. Uh, or otherwise, then that whole uh, mission right. of redemption would be incomplete. Every square inch that was lost by the fall is going to be redeemed. It's been purchased. And it's going to be restored. Which is what Christ. the scripture means when it says he died for the world. Yes, man, I'm getting it's chills for, just talking for, about it's it. It's for all it fires creation. Me up. <laughs> yeah. so, so the cross wasn't just for sinners. It's for all of creation to to an extent, not in a salvific sense, but in, a, in, in, in the sense that the curse is being resolved, that it finds its end at the cross. And that's really where kind of the post-millennial view kind of stems out of is this idea of the reversal that all of time comes to its apex at the cross, that there's a degradation that happens from the garden to the cross, and then there's a restoration that happens from the cross to the New Jerusalem, which pretty much every Christian would agree with. The difference is, uh, what does that look like? So a post-millennialist would say, that's going to literally happen on the earth. The, the earth is going to be actually made holy to the point <laughs> that Christ returns to reign over a holy earth. And that Christians are essentially um, the idea of like the leaven working its way through the loaf. You know that the gospel is that leaven that works its way through the loaf until the whole loaf has has been affected by it. Um, and that's kind of where that view comes from, and um, which is which is a little different. And I've leaned that way before, but I don't feel confident to do that. Not because of World War Two, but for other reasons. <laughs> well, I was just stating the. Kind of the historical development of that mm-hmm. doctrine. It's that's kind of when it started to fall off. But yeah, that's when premillennialism kind of took a rise after that dispensational premillennialism. Sure, yeah, because there, yeah. there's another view that we haven't mentioned, which is historic premillennialism, which people even in the early church believe that that they believe that Jesus was going to return. There would be a literal kingdom on earth, right. Tertullian and those guys, right? And you know that's one of the charges that's often brought by 
amillennialists against premillennialists. Well, this doctrine is new. It it, it only came out in the past a few years with the, with the Schofield Bible, and it, because it's new, it can't be true. Do they sound and like that too? They do. Oh, okay, you have to they have even to make that same face. They even make that same face. <laughs> the arrogance with it. Then that's one of the charges. You, know, oh. you go back to the church fathers, and you see that some of those guys were. They weren't dispensational. Right, but they were premillennialists. Right. Well, and, and, and that, that points out a good example, Derek, which is that uh, this has been an issue of discussion from the beginning. So you have people in a short amount of time from the time that John even wrote Revelation, there's discussion of what does this mean and, and how much of this applies to us right now, how much of this is in the future. And so uh, we're in good company with the rest of the church in history as far as trying to understand it. But what has everyone agreed on? Every Orthodox Christian agrees that Jesus rose from the grave bodily, ascended bodily, and returns bodily, that there's going to be a real judgment for sins. If you think that Jesus is just going to come back and he's going to overlook sin because he just is a giant poo bear in the sky, you haven't read the Bible. <laughs> and so he's going to come back and he's going to judge sins. And the the message that we bring to people when we reveal Jesus to people, in the same way that John reveals it in his book, is that there's going to be a real judgment for sin and either your sin has been paid for or it has not. And if it has been paid for because you're trusting in Christ for your salvation, then you have a covering from the wrath of God when that wrath is poured out. But if you don't, then you need to repent and trust in Christ alone for your salvation, or you will be judged and you will be cast into hell along with the devil and his angels. And those are things that we can all agree on as Christians. And how all those intricate things may work out is fine. But the reality is if I preach revelation in my church and people don't walk away from that knowing Jesus is really coming back and he's going to judge and I better be right with him, I didn't preach it right. Like sure. if you don't get anything else, you got to get that out of it. And I, and I think we all agree on, on those things. And you can look at our Baptist Confession of Faith and, and others that preceded of what the Southern Baptist Convention adopted. And, and that eschatology deals with those primary matters upon which we can agree and they're they're not a test of fellowship to push back a little bit as far as premillennialism goes one reason why i believe that and very strongly convinced is that this world the whole creation groans it's it's under the curse waiting to be liberated and it's just difficult for me to see in an amillennial standpoint that that's already that we're in that time already that, that because I just see the evidence of, of death and decay and demonic activity all about us. It doesn't seem to be getting better. It seems to be getting worse. Mm-hmm. But I just firmly believe that, number one, God promised to land to Israel. And so that covenant with Abraham is not going to be set aside or I have to worry about the new covenant that was made with me. And as far as this creation goes, I believe that everything, the the thorns are going to be done away with. The weeds are going to be gone. The lion will lie down with the lamb. child can reach into a a poisonous viper's nest and, and not be harmed. And, you know, if that doesn't happen, then I don't think there's that ultimate Redemption to me. That's that's how I see it. I, I, that's why I would have some problem with uh, amillennial. And I would say with eschatology, it always comes back to your hermeneutics. I think that's the basis of where we see most of the division taking place in eschatology is 
how are we going to interpret this? Is this interpreted literally? How do we interpret these symbols? Or is this figurative? Or, or are we uh, spiritualizing this? And I think that's where most of our division comes from in the choices that we make in our hermeneutic. The thing that I like about premillennialism and what draws me to that is it's a consistent, literal interpretation of those not spiritualizing not taking certain passages out and saying well that doesn't really mean a thousand years or saying well those promises they don't god didn't really mean that 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 doesn't apply there it applies the church is the new israel right right Um, so so i think that to me i would say that's a bigger issue than a hermeneutic is the understanding of covenant Uh, because i think covenant's very important but i think we would have a fundamental difference when it comes to covenants because i'm not dispensational i do see a, a, a much stronger connection between the church and israel than you guys would and that does affect my eschatology because if i if i see the church in israel as essentially the same thing that affects the way that you understand those prophecies and those other things that are happening and i think historically when you look down the line that's kind of different so like the question i would ask not not in any kind of like derogatory sense, but really trying to understand is like, are you premillennial because you're dispensational? Like, how much does the hermeneutic influence your premillennialism versus your dispensationalism influencing your premillennialism? N- none of us come to the scripture as a blank slate. I don't care what anybody claims. We all have our prejudices, our ideas, our preconceived notions. We all read into that. We need to try to set that aside as much as possible, but it's it's not totally possible, achievable. So uh, I know that my upbringing, things I've heard preached, things that resonate with me, uh, things I've been taught, heroes of the faith that I've looked up to have certainly impacted my views. I don't think there's any question about that, but I think that would be true of, of all of us. So, Eric like, and I here grew up in Polk Creek, right, and we're both right. pre-millennials. So that's why there's a war. So that, that's the real problem <laughs> that's, here. That's, the, that's the, yes. ancestral war. Venus has poisoned your mind. That's the elephant in the room. But but now, but now here, let me follow up real quick now, with I that. I will say growing up, though, I thought Left Behind was an actual prophecy of the of what's going to happen amen yeah yeah i grew up under that but but here's the thing you're outnumbered in this room right yeah but not in history well yeah and not (laughs) and not looking at really contemporary church life in in baptist life i mean i go on the baptist review or elephant room or whatever (laughs) and 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 i and i find that i'm that in the minority didn't used to be that way, but I think more and more you're in the minority. How how so? Well, in terms of eschatology, I think a lot of those guys are reformed, amillennial, and and some historical premillennial. You do pick up some of that, but, but there is a resurgence in postmillennialism yeah, too. There's a lot more. There, there is. Guys, there there, there is. Yeah, and and so those debates will continue to to go on, but but I think you know the Reformation. And that brand of theology and coming to the ascendancy is is directly linked to the eschatology because the, that and all millennialism just seem to go together. And I would I would suggest to you back to your point about Israel that that Martin Luther in his view of the Jews and and some of his animosity, uh, even anti-Semitism, we might as well you know acknowledge it. That to me it's, it's worrisome that that 
strand of thought, not accusing everybody, you know, who's reformed of being anti-Semitic, but that strain, I think, does influence the way we view the the covenants and the relationship of Israel and, and the church. And to me, that's a very troubling thing. I, I don't really see that as a danger personally, because the way that I understand covenant doesn't really have... Explain that. Explain that for a second. You, you've, we've talked about the covenant... So we, could do covenant we could do a whole episode on that. Oh, yeah. It's- you can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast. And be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than master president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say they're Grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man, they calling for Katrina.